Morning, church. Great morning this morning, isn't it? Real sense of God's presence here. Uh, Tim, can you come up? Hey, and I want to welcome Bruce and Jenny here this morning. We, Bruce and Jenny are pastors from New Life in, in uh, Hamilton, and we met them over at Bethel. A neat couple. So welcome, guys. Uh, Tim just asked if you could share something he's sensing that God wanted to say. Hang on. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if you're on. That's going well today. <laughs> I was singing about one before, now I'll be speaking about one. Okay. Um, I just sensed uh, from the pre-meeting that there, um, God's really wanting to lift burdens that are on people's lives in the house this morning. That may be in the area of um, healing, as Paul was talking about long-term healing. It may be financial. It may be you will know what that area is. And he's just saying, if you will bring that burden to my cross, I will take it from you. I will take it from you. That's what I died for you for. So in your personal time with him, just give him that. Lay it down. That's what he died for you for. Thanks, Tim. Let's, let's just actually just spend a moment in, in God's presence. Just focus on Jesus right now. And, you know, if you've come with things which you really want God to shift and change, um, hand them over to Jesus as, as you just wait, wait on him right now. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, I want to thank you that you're the God of miracles. Nothing is too hard for you. And, and Jesus, these, these concerns and worries and burdens that have been carried, we... We lay them at the cross right now and, and surrender them to you and are confident that you'll bring change. Amen. You're feeling good. You're looking good. So two weeks ago I highlighted one of the revelations about God and that is that he, Jesus is our banner, the name over us. And this is a starting point for understanding that Jesus is the name over us, is a starting point for understanding who we are, our identity. And I said that if we don't understand what our true identity in Jesus is, then this becomes a really big limiting factor on our future, on our life, and reaching, reaching our potential in Christ. I also talked about how we're a people of promise. And that each of us has a hope and a future. And even though that, that promise may have been delayed, or maybe it hasn't turned out the way that we thought it is, God always has a better future planned for us. We also looked at, at if we want to grow in our understanding of our identity, then we need to know whose we are. If we want to know who we are, we need to know whose we are. And we, and we do that by actually developing our intimacy with Jesus, spending time with him, knowing him better. It's essential. You see, if we spend time in God's presence, we must be changed. 
If you spend time with Jesus, we must be changed. It's a little bit like if you spend time in the water, you must get wet. So today I want to uh, build on, on what I did a couple of weeks ago and talk about the next step in growing in our identity and who we are in Christ. And, you know, God's called us to be agents of transformation. Now, that call is on every one of us if we're following Jesus, to be agents of transformation. It's part of who we are. It's part of our identity. So I just want to give you a couple of illustrations of what it might look like to be an agent of transformation. Um, perhaps you are working in an office situation and there's been a meeting call and you're going to the meeting and there's one particular person in the office who is really negative. You know the type of person I'm talking about? Just, you just don't enjoy being around them. Whenever they go into a place, the whole atmosphere drops. They are draining people. No one here is like that, of course, but you know the type of person I'm talking about? And so this meeting is called, and everyone who's going to the meeting thinks, oh, no, that person's going to be there. It's going to be a terrible meeting. But you are also going into that meeting. Now, you carry the Spirit of God. You go in there, and you also have an influence in that meeting. And light overcomes darkness. Who has the bigger influence on the tone of what that meeting is going to be? Agents of transformation. You, you go into that meeting and you actually bring hope and you bring life and you bring positivity and you can actually shift the tone of the meeting. Or perhaps you're a school teacher and every day you're there before the kids arrived and, and, and you go around and I'm not quite sure if this is the way that classrooms are these days, but when I was there, they had desks, and we'd all go and sit on desks. And so you go around and you, you um, lay hands on each of the chairs that the kids are sitting in, and you think about them, and you pray, pray for them as you're going in there. So um, as, as the children come in each day, they're coming into an atmosphere where, where there's been a real soaking of God's presence in the place, and your classroom has a reputation of having the best behaved kids, the kids that are actually really making a difference in the school because you're an agent of transformation. Or a policeman who, who is continually praying into the area that you're looking after, that you're interacting with people, bringing a shift. And when you are there, the crime rate is down. When you go on holiday, the crime rate goes up. These are actually a short synopsis of, of three real situations I've read about. Agents of transformation. And that's the call that each of us has. That's part of who we are. That's our identity. They are all examples of the kingdom of God overcoming the kingdom of darkness. Do you want to be an agent of transformation? If you're following Christ... It is who you are. But if we want to be effective agents of transformation, then we actually need to know who we are. We need to get our identity sorted out. 
It is if we want to see the kingdom of God grow and society get better and people get saved and lives get transformed around us, we must become the people that God says we are. So what is the kingdom of God? Romans 14, 17, one of my favorite verses these days. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, when I talked the other day, I said, you know, we're not just to stay in a place where we're provided for, a place of provision, but we're actually to go on for, into a place of promise. And when we think about this first, you know, we have a promise when we're carrying the kingdom that we release peace into situations, that we release joy into situations. And if we think about the word righteousness, generally in Scripture, that is talking about our righteousness before God, that when Jesus came and died on the cross and took the punishment for our sins, when we accept him and make him the Lord and uh, the leader and the saviour, the forgiver of our lives, that we are made righteous before God, that there is nothing, that, no barrier between us and the Father, because Jesus is made as righteous. But in the context where this verse is being used, it's talking about a lot of natural things as well, and the Bible speaks a lot about, about redeeming uh, the world in various places, and the world groans for, for seeing the righteousness arise, arise, and there are situations and places and people around us which can be made right before God to actually be fulfilling the plans and purposes that God has for them. And we get to release that righteousness, peace and joy around us, releasing the kingdom. Here's a thought. The kingdom of God doesn't grow by behaviour. It doesn't grow by performance. And it was interesting what Paul, uh, was, Paul Johnson was talking about earlier, because it's a really key part of what I want to focus on today. The kingdom of God grows through belief. It is a kingdom of faith. And I think uh, in here, often what goes on is, you know, we need to be better people. We need to pray more. We need to read the Bible more. Uh, not swear. Fast regularly. These are all good things. But it is actually belief and faith that grows the kingdom. And if we want the kingdom to grow, we need to sort out our belief systems. This is part of who we are. This is our identity, is our belief systems, and we need to get them sorted. See, our beliefs control our thoughts. Our thoughts determine our priorities, our priorities decide our behaviour, and our behaviour delivers an outcome. But it all starts with beliefs. It is our beliefs that make up our identity. Beliefs make us who we are. So step one in working on our Identity is, as we said two weeks ago, it is having that intimacy, developing that intimacy with Jesus, developing that relationship, spending time with him, getting into his presence. Step two is developing our belief system, sorting out our wrong beliefs, replacing them with right beliefs. Second Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says this, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world, 
on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What are strongholds? Now, when I, when I read this verse in the past, I've often thought it, it sort of means like there's this spiritual fortress in, in, a, in an area or a place and there's demons there and we need to actually uh, go to battle with it in prayer and actually see that, that sort of spiritual uh, uh, place uh, broken down and, and the demons cast out and so that we can actually see um, success in the spiritual so that we can see things change in the natural and, and that, that is there's an aspect of that which is true but they're not actually the main strongholds that we need to deal with if we want to be effective agents of transformation the strongholds are our belief system in here which are faulty these are the ones which actually need to be taken captive and brought under the authority of Christ. The main strongholds are in our minds, our wrong thoughts, our wrong beliefs. The, the crazy arguments and thought processes that run opposite to God's thoughts that need to be taken captive. Let me give you an example. So imagine you're in a very difficult situation. It's really high stress. It could be uh, going through some marriage problems. Financial, uh, your finances are out of control. You're going through health issues. And, and it's at the point in that situation where you're thinking, it's hopeless, there is no way out. If you're, if you're as old as me, you've probably all been there. I want to ask you a question. When you're thinking it's hopeless and there's no way out, who told you that? Who told you that? Did God tell you that? Now, God is a God of hope. There is always a solution. There is always a solution in God. You know, that thought of it's hopeless needs to be taken captive and made obedient to Christ. So how do we make our thoughts obedient to Christ? How do we make our beliefs come under God's, Christ's authority? How do we replace our wrong beliefs with right ones? Wrong thoughts with God thoughts. This is what Paul meant when he wrote to the Romans. In Romans chapter 12, and looking at the second verse, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, our wrong beliefs, our wrong thoughts, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Replace them with right beliefs. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Our beliefs will align with God's beliefs, his, or God's thoughts, his, and we will test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, our wrong thinking, our wrong beliefs, are generally established through our past. Past experience, things people have told us, what we've observed, and then the devil takes those experiences and sows lies in their mind. Now, the experience may be true, but the belief system established out of that experience will be a lie. 
if they are a wrong belief, a wrong thought. And it becomes a stronghold. And what can happen is that our past will control our present. And this limits our future. Because of the lies we are believing and our wrong beliefs, we just can't see the possibilities and the future God promises ever coming into fruition. And, And by doing that, we've stopped being a people of promise. Yet what God does, so, so what often happens naturally is our past influences the way that we believe and it limits our future. What God does is he calls out our future to inspire our present and overcome our past. There's a great story in, in the Bible about David and the verses are going to come up here from... 1 Samuel 17, and, and Joshua just slowly scrolls through the pages so you can read that. Um, while you're doing that, try to stay focused on what I'm talking about because I'll, I'll give a bit of background to the story. Hopefully you can multitask. You see, David was a shepherd. Uh, in the nation of Israel, there's King Saul. God had rejected King Saul because he didn't have a heart after God. He had been disobedient. And so they... Um, God wanted to look for a new king and there's a prophet called Samuel who was uh, uh, there that, that God was working with in uh, establishing that and God said to Samuel, look, I want you to go to the house of Jesse because one of his sons is going to be king. So Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, and he, uh, which is a fairly big thing. It's a little bit like royalty coming to your, your house, so it's a fairly big deal for Jesse and so he gets all his sons there and and Samuel gets each of them to come past him, and, and God says to Samuel, no, it's not this one, it's not this one, it's not this one, it's not this one. I think Jesse had lots of sons. Anyway, he gets through all of them there, and, and, and God says, no, it's not any of these. So Samuel's thinking, what on earth is going on here? God said that one of his sons, he says to Jesse, have you got any other sons? And Jesse said, well, there is David, the youngest. He's just out looking after the sheep. And at that moment, you can see an aspect of what the family thought about David's identity. Least in the family, not important. And Samuel says, no, well, we'll go get him, bring him here, because we're not going to move on until we actually see what God's saying here. So they go get David, he comes in, God says, this is the one, Samuel anoints him, and so calls, it says, you're going to be king over the nation of Israel. So David is who was living in a place of limitation, living in a place where people thought he was insignificant, not important, out of that identity. Suddenly God calls out future over him and says, you're going to be king of a nation, you're going to be a person of transformation, I'm going to put my call on your life and my spirit on your life and see you actually transform this nation. Then he goes back and looks after the sheep again. But he has future called out in him. Then we get to where these verses are, and and uh, David comes along to where the uh, army of Israel is. The Philistines have come to have have war against the army of uh, of um, 
Israel. And interestingly enough, uh, this is the story where Goliath comes and puts out this challenge, send me a man who can fight me and whoever wins, they, they will be the victors rather than having everyone fight. He does that for about 40 days. And this was actually, uh, if you remember back in the, um, when the spies went in to search out the promised land at the start and they said, look, there are giants in the land. This is the first time they encountered the giants, hundreds of years after they actually went into the nation of Israel. So there's this uh, uh, accusation coming that, that, look, we have to face this giant and it's an um, echo from the, when the spies went through the nation of Israel and now they're confronting this. And David's coming along, this shepherd boy who has a call on his life and he says, why isn't anyone taking up this challenge? What, what's the benefits for the person who does this? And he, start, he, he's, he starts getting inspired. His present is being inspired because of the call of his future. And the people around him try to shut down and put him back into his past identity. If you, you read there, when his brother Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. He is trying to shut down his identity. David had a call from God over his life to be a, someone who transforms a nation and the people around him were trying to shut down his identity. The, it's, it's like the devil trying to speak lies into our mind and shut down our belief system. I think that's a word for someone here. God has put calls on your life and the, the opportunity, and opportunities have come and fear has risen up and, and lies have come around and they've actually shut you down. If you're in that situation, don't give up. God still has that call on your life and opportunities will come and he will take you into your future. So David had this opportunity where he could actually get shut down by his past or he can go after the call of God. And he went after the call, and history um, takes him into the place where he is, becomes the king of the nation of Israel and probably the most significant person in the Old Testament. Call of God. Changing his belief system. So, you know, we can choose to stay in our existing belief system and limit our future, or we can start to transform our minds and see transformation take place around us as we walk into our destiny that comes out of our identity. So how do we start to change our belief system? How do we develop our identity into what God wants it to be? Well, we've already said previously about spending time with Jesus allowing him to start that transformation process. About, uh, find out what the Bible really says about our identity and then actually start to declare it over our lives. Start to declare truth over our lives about who we are in Christ. Now, declaration is the primary method used in the Bible to call out change in a person. In every story in the Bible where transformation takes place, 
there is always a declaration. And I think sometimes we underestimate the power of the spoken word. It doesn't mean to say that you have to go around and tell everyone that God has said this, God has said that. It's not something that you need to go and actually declare to other people. Declare it over yourself. It's for you. Let's look at some declarations that we can do. We'll look at some lies, some verses, and then actually some declarations. So you might have a lie going on in your head that says, I don't really think my prayers make a difference. doesn't mean to say you don't pray. And it doesn't mean to say that you don't pray hard when situations arise, but there's other times you think, well, I've been praying for this a long time, I just don't know if my prayers really make a difference. The Bible says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And we're, if, you, if you have Jesus as your saviour and forgiver, you are righteous before God, so you are righteous. Your prayer is powerful and effective. So we can declare over ourselves, my prayers are powerful and effective. Why don't you try that right now? Declare that out. My prayers are powerful and effective. Okay, so you're warming up. Okay, another, another lie that you might have is, I will always struggle financially. Especially if you're in a difficult situation, maybe you have made some bad financial decisions in the past, and, you think, and you've gotten to this thought process where you believe, I will always struggle financially. Yet Philippians says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So we can declare over our lives, God richly supplies all my needs. Why don't you try that one? God richly supplies all my needs. Another lie you might have, especially if you're unwell at the moment. I am sick because God wants to teach me something. Yet Isaiah tells us, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. So we can declare over ourselves, I walk in ever-increasing health. Why don't you try that one? I walk in ever-increasing health. Here's another lie. I am afraid. Wherever fear is ruling in your life, there's an aspect of a belief which is faulty in there because God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but there are, uh, I think we all have times when we're feeling afraid about something. And so that's a lie that's in our lives. That I'm afraid. Yet the, the Bible says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And we can declare of ourselves, I live under supernatural protection. Why don't you try that one? I live under supernatural protection. Um, some of you are probably already thinking, this feels silly. I don't know if this works. 
Again, it's an example of how our belief system gets in the road of what God wants to do. There is power in declaring truth over your life. Let's try a couple more. Okay, here's a lie that we might think. God doesn't use me supernaturally. He has just given me the gift of helps. Mark 16 says this, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. That is a verse for all of us. Even for those who have the gift of helps, which is a fantastic gift. So we can declare over ourselves, I constantly bring God encounters to people. Why don't you try that one? I constantly bring God encounters to people. Another, uh, another lie. I'm not important to establishing God's kingdom. Other people do it better. I'm not needed. You can read the whole book of Acts and we can declare over ourselves, <laughs> do that in your own time. No, no, seriously, do that in your own time. Do it, do it, go and do it. Okay, declaration. I expect to have divine appointments today to heal the sick, raise the dead, prophesy life, lead people to Christ, bring deliverance, release signs and wonders, and bless every place I go. Do you want to try that one? A bit longer. I expect to have divine appointments today to heal the sick, raise the dead, prophesy life, lead people to Christ, bring deliverance, release signs and wonders, and bless every place I go. You know, we can't believe the Bible and let our past determine our future. They're just uh, incompatible thoughts. You know, and you might be thinking, oh, well, I'm just so inadequate. You know, that's a lie in here. And you know, what, you know what the encouraging thing is as you read the Bible? God used inadequate people. Noah had never seen rain. Abraham and Sarah were too old. Jacob was second in line. Joseph was uh, abused. Moses couldn't speak. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon came from a really poor family. Samuel didn't hear God's voice initially. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Peter denied Jesus three times. Paul was a huge persecutor of the church. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. And Lazarus was dead. <laughs> Yet God used all these people powerfully. God can use you too. And it comes down to owning your identity in Christ, having right beliefs, developing those belief systems, declaring them over your life. 
One of the most powerful verses in the Bible, I think, is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And this verse tells us three, three things. Whatever situation you're in, God says you can handle it. Secondly, God is faithful and can be trusted. And thirdly, there is always a solution. We are carriers of hope. We are carriers of possibility. We are carriers of solutions. We are agents of transformation. There is always a way for kingdom transformation to take place. And you are the agent God has placed wherever you are to see that transformation. You know, you are only one God idea away from an incredible kingdom experience. You're only one God idea away from an incredible kingdom experience. So often we look for the natural solutions. We try to come up with the right ideas, yet it's God's thoughts that make the difference. On Wednesday, um, I was privileged to be at the book launch for Sue Dickinson with her books. And so you're an incredible lady. You know, she, as Sue was telling a story that how God spoke to her that she was to write seven books. She's written three. Two are just finished waiting to get published and there's another two on the, on the way. And the, and the books are inspiring and the, half the profits go to actually bless other organisations. And it's, you know, it's just doing stuff which brings transformation following a God thought. But often God does things his way which is just not rational. The nation of Israel in a desert, thirsty, wanting water. God says, go hit a rock. The walls of Jericho needs to come down. God says, go and walk around. Perhaps the band can come up. A giant needs to be killed. God says, send a shepherd boy. Never been in battle. The Gentiles need to be reached for the gospel. God says, let's save the most passionate persecutor of the church. The world needs a saviour. God says, let's send a baby. You know, we are so much more than we think. We are so much more than what's going on in here. God has future over every one of you. He has possibilities. He has destiny. He's called every single one of us to be agents of transformation. Let's, let's just stand. Let's invite God's presence to come. Let him to start speaking into our life. Jesus, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. Fill us afresh with your presence, Lord. Fill us afresh. Speak into our hearts, Jesus.
know, the laying on of hands is powerful. And there's real impartation that takes place as we lay, lay hands on people. You know you can lay hands on yourself. So I want to do one more declaration. It comes from Luke chapter 4. It won't be on the screen. So can I, if, you're, if you're wanting to be an agent of transformation, can I suggest you put your hand on your head? This is impartation stuff. This is the verse that Jesus used when he launched his ministry. And, and it's the same for us. We can use the same verse for what God wants us to do. So repeat after me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And Jesus, we receive that. We thank you that you have a future for our lives. And we, we agree with you and we will walk into our destiny. Amen. Let's, let's worship together because he is worth it.